Malta was once a hidden gem in the Mediterranean, but now it's being discovered more and more by North Americans. And that means it's diverse and offers something for everyone. You can scuba dive to explore sunken ships, eat traditional Maltese foods like pastizzi, a flaky pastry filled with ricotta cheese, visit one of three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, and so much more. Plus, Malta gets more than 300 days of sunshine, so it's a year-round destination. Get inspired and plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. Are you looking for an off-the-beaten-path island destination in the Mediterranean? I highly recommend Malta, an archipelago with 8,000 years of history. It's home to three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, including Valletta, Malta's capital. Malta also has the oldest freestanding stone architecture in the world, showcasing one of the British Empire's most formidable defense systems. If you travel for history, Malta has an impressive mix of domestic, religious, and military structures from the ancient, medieval, and early modern periods. It's also rich in culture. You'll find events and festivals all year round, plus beautiful beaches, a thriving nightlife, and a trendy gastronomical scene with seven Michelin-starred restaurants. Plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. Hi, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from Abar Media. I'm your host, Senior Editor Aislinn Green. And for the past six years, I've had the pleasure of working with some of the most creative and interesting people in the world. Comedians, philosophers, novelists, They've all shared their stories with Abar's readers about getting out into the world and just reveling in it. And now, each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from some of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. In this episode, we meet Lavinia Spalding. Lavinia is a writer, a teacher, and the editor of the Best Women's Travel Writing Anthology, now in its 12th year. Growing up, though, she believed she was destined to be a tocaora a female flamenco guitar player who channels the sound of Spain. It didn't exactly happen, for reasons you'll soon hear, but one day, decades after giving up on her dream, something shifted. On a whim, she emailed three of the biggest tocaoras in Spain to ask for lessons. Here's what happened next. Pilar Alonso is looking at me like I've thrust a piece of rotten chicken under her nose. She'll happily instruct me in the ways of soleare, but this? No. This is a thick folder of sheet music I've brought to her apartment in Granada. Pilar has nothing against sheet music, per se, but this, she says, isn't even flamenco. Instead, she directs me to a chair, tunes her guitar, and demonstrates a compas, the rhythm she intends to teach me. I watch as her hands become birds, darting and fluttering, dipping and swooping, graceful, furious. Okay, she says, now follow along. To be clear, there is no chance I can do this. I once believed I was destined to be a tocaora. Forty-five years ago, when I was two, my father also came to Spain. A renowned classical guitarist, he was enamored of flamenco, and in Spain, he learned from anyone willing to teach him. He buttonholed performers and bars, 
befriended buskers on sidewalks, and somehow, to this day, no one in my family knows how, managed to study with the greatest flamenco guitarist of our time, Paco de Lucia. I started playing classical guitar when I was five. Every afternoon, I reported to my father's studio at our home in New Hampshire and practiced while he sat across from me, instructing and critiquing. I played scales till my fingertips stung and peeled and calloused. By age seven, I was called a child prodigy, and guitar came before friends, extracurricular activities, even homework. I attended master classes, always the youngest student by a decade. Sometimes I performed with my father. Then, at 11, I quit. I was no longer interested, I announced. Heartbroken, my father distanced himself. Guiltily, I followed suit. Soon, we spoke only when necessary. Mostly we bickered about chores, rules, perceived injustices. Our relationship didn't fully rebound until, in my early 20s, I found myself pulled back to the guitar. Our closeness returned, and on my visits home, he started teaching me flamenco, specifically soleare, a standard form. Then, when I was in my early 30s, he got sick. Before he died a few years later, my father told me there were almost no tocaoras, female flamenco guitarists, in the world. If I kept practicing, he said, I could be one of the first. I promised, and he bequeathed me his guitar. But after he died, I couldn't bear to play it. He'd spent so much time with his arms around that instrument, it seemed an extension of his own body. So, for 13 years, it sat mostly untouched, coming out only when my young son begged to see it. Ellis was careful with his grandfather's instrument in a way he wasn't with any other object in his reach. It made me want to pass it down to him, both the guitar and the music. The problem was, I couldn't really play anymore. One night, I googled female flamenco guitarists, and three names popped up. Pilar Alonso in Granada, Antonia Jimenez in Madrid, and Marta Robles in Barcelona. On a whim, I wrote to all three and asked, If I travel to you, will you give me lessons? They said yes. So I flew to Spain, armed with a folder of recently purchased soleare sheet music to immerse myself in the world of female flamenco guitar, a world so new it didn't exist while my father was alive, a world I now yearned to be part of. Flamenco has mysterious origins, but people agree somewhat upon the following. It dates back to at least the 16th century. A fusion of Arab, Andalusian folkloric, and Gitano music, flamenco emerged as an outlet for the poor and oppressed. It consists of song, dance, guitar, and percussive elements that include clapping, finger snapping, and shouts of encouragement like ole, plus a more esoteric layer known as duende, the dark emotion at the heart of everything which transforms suffering into passion. The rest of the backstory is mostly the stuff of late-night, sherry-fueled debates. There's just one final point of consensus. 
Women can sing and dance flamenco, but sorry, guitar belongs to men. It's a good old-fashioned boys' club. When I meet Antonia in Madrid, I learn she spent her life crashing that club. She began playing at five, despite her parents' objections. At 14, she found a teacher, and by 15, she was earning money accompanying singers and dancers. After 30 years of studying with masters, composing, and touring the globe, she's recording her first album. But her father died 13 years ago without ever accepting her vocation. He never once said good, she tells me. He never said ole. I had to do this for myself. I fought for my career, and it was very, very hard to grow in this atmosphere. But you can do anything, so I did it. I can't help but compare our lives. We're almost the same age. Our fathers died the same year. We both began playing at five. But I stopped, and she couldn't be stopped. She did it. I didn't. Just like Pilar, Antonia boxed at my folder of sheet music. Flamenco is 90% improvisational, she explains. It comes from the houses. It's deep inside the people. It's an ethnic music, not a scholastic music. She suggests I follow along while she plays falsettas or soleare melodies. Then her hands explode across the strings like fireworks, and all I can do is stare and panic. She suggests I record a video of her playing slowly. And back in my rented apartment, I watch the video 50 times and practice fanatically until I memorize the falsettas. When my fingertips start tingling, I'm euphoric. I run my thumb over them like they're a row of tiny talismans. Heading into our second lesson, I'm slightly more confident. As Antonia tunes her guitar for me, leaning into it, I'm reminded of my dad, the way he cradled his guitar like a favorite child. Though brilliant and charismatic, he wasn't the most affectionate parent, and the tenderness he showed his instruments sometimes made me jealous. Antonia finishes tuning, and I fumble my way through the falsettas. But she smiles, she says she's impressed, and I decide to believe her. My third teacher, Marta, lives in Barcelona, and has been playing since age seven. She's earned four degrees in classical and flamenco guitar from three conservatories. When I watched her videos online, I imagined we'd be instant besties. But no. She's tall and glamorous and intense, and she intimidates me. Marta doesn't feel like teaching me soleare. Instead, she'll show me a rumba. It's like this, she says, her hands a dizzying blur of knuckles and skin. Okay, follow along. This joke never gets old. But she shows me again in slow-mo, and as I study her hands, I notice how her fingers form perfect squares above the frets, and her thumb never creeps over the neck of the guitar. And I hear my dad's voice reciting these instructions, forever correcting my form, holding my wrist between his long, slender fingers, and jiggling it gently. Let it relax, he'd say. So I relax my wrist and follow Marta's lead, and a few dozen tries later, I get it. Not just the rhythm of the rumba, but the golpe too, the trademark tapping of finger against guitar. That's it, she exclaims, and we tamp our strings and play faster and faster until we're strumming in unison and grinning widely at each other. This same magic also happened during my second lesson with Pilar, 
a few days after she rejected my rotten sheet music. While demonstrating how to connect a compass to a falsetta, she began playing a delicate, lively string of single notes, as familiar as a lullaby. That, I shouted. Tears blurred my eyes, and suddenly my fingers were plucking along as fast as hers. It was as if a spirit had been summoned to return me to guitar. It was as if a missing piece of me was back. I wonder if this is Duende, an old suffering transformed into passion. I've long carried guilt and remorse for quitting guitar and missing my chance to be one of the first tokaoras. Those feelings are gone now. Holding a guitar doesn't hurt anymore. It feels like a rekindling, like the redemption of a broken promise. It feels like joy. I want to cancel my return flight, stay in Spain, and spend every minute with these remarkable revolutionary women. Will I? No. I have a life I love back home, but I do remember, finally, what it means to be musical, to practice until something beautiful emerges, to live for the moment when it all connects and you're elevated, and mostly to share that magic with someone else. And I will share it. I'll teach Ellis to play soleare someday, but I've ditched all my sheet music now. When the time comes, I'll make him follow along. That was Lavinia Spalding. And that music you heard? It was from Tokoora Antonia Jimenez. These days, Lavinia is back home in New Orleans. She's promoting the latest edition of Best Women's Travel Writing out now. And yes, she still practices the guitar, sometimes, and her son, Ellis, is beginning to play along. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afar.com slash travel tales. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales, a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast was produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Koresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redmond, Sarah Storm, and Irene Wang. I'm Aislinn Green, your zoomed-out, under-traveled host. I can't wait to hit the road again. Until we all freely can, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours? What's yours?